All right. Moral of the story, stay on the bus. <laughs> yeah. If you want to stay on the bus, stay on the if bus. If you want to stay yeah. on the bus. If the yeah. bus is going the right way. But actually, who, are you driving the bus or are you, are you just a passenger? Passenger. I'm a passenger. Are you, yeah. si are you sitting passenger. in the back with your phone out? Is it, what's, paint me the scenario. <laughs> Hello again, this is Arthur Bray checking in from Hong Kong. As a radio host, DJ and editor, I'm fortunate to speak with some of fashion, music and club cultures most revered. For this episode of Joyce's Live Curiously podcast, we catch up with Los Angeles artist and designer Kelly Thornhill Dewitt. His brand St. Michael's with Utah of Ready Made continues to bridge the worlds of subculture and fashion through unique iconography, much like his previous designs for Kanye and Neighborhood alike. In addition, Fraser Cook also joins in on the conversation, whose ambiguous and elongated title of Nike Global Influencer Marketing Special Project Senior Director means that he's the guy connecting the dots between some of the most revered sneakers that have been released from Swish in the past decade. Given the travel restrictions, it's somewhat ironic that the bus has been used multiple times as a metaphor for how both drive creativity forward in their own unique way. Stay tuned. How's it going, guys? How are you? Good. I know we're across a couple of time zones right now, but um, I guess it's a new form of the hangout. How are things going so far? I've had enough of it now. It's, it's really boring. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, basically the memo. I don't, I don't find it remotely easy to work. I've sort of hit the... I think there's an article in the New York Times uh -huh. and they've identified this state that's called languishing. Languishing. It's not depression. It's not burnout, but it's something in the middle and it's called languishing. And they reckon loads of people are suffering from it where they just can't motivate or focus like they were able to before. Right. I can identify with that big time. Well, we're not filling up our tanks. No, there's nothing coming in. Yeah, there's nothing coming in. So languishing makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, in reality, I've had plenty of things I could be doing. Mm. Uh, it's just maintaining the the motivation to do it that's the problem, not the actual fact that there's nothing to do. <laughs> mm, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The to-do list never sort of shortens, but I guess it's sort of getting that incentive to kind of get up and get those things done and also creating new stuff as well, hey? Yeah. I mean, and I've got a two-year-old a kid that just turned two last week, which is, you know, mm. so for the majority of his life, he's, I've been at home with him, which is a good thing. But it's also like a life-changing, you know, I was traveling half the time before. So it's a, it's a huge life change and a sort of shift of focus. And it also means there's certain things you, you have to pay attention to that you didn't have to before. <laughs> so maybe that's a good thing, right? You got all the time in the world now to focus on that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not, I could be worse. <laughs> I keep being grateful that I'm in LA because I love surfing. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like I've been able to do that all year, but I mean, I'm even getting sick of doing that. Yeah, every you time. look very tanned. Uh, <laughs> and, but it's funny because I did it all winter, so yeah. my hands and my head are incredibly tanned. It's time to right. find a wetsuit and do the rest. I, I think Callie's the healthiest looking one out of all three here, man. Like, I, I reckon you need to pass a bit of that over, man. You got to, yeah, post, postmate it or whatever you guys use over it's, there. I kind of upped my physical ante, but I was already physical. But it's like what you were saying about languishing. Like <laughs> my languishing looks like yesterday I went to the gym. I went on a hike. I went on a two-hour bike ride. But I'm like just trying to get something in. Yeah. You know, like it's fun to do. It's nice to do. But I've been doing it so much yeah. that I'm like trying to activate some shit. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. finding hard to the well is a little bit empty sometimes it's important mm. i think um yeah i've been going to the gym as much as i can go and meditating more i was doing that anyway for probably about the last four or five years and then actually completely off the wall like i just got really super interested in the whole sort of crypto space of things you know what i mean learning about that oh here we go that's that's been the thing that i've been the most interested in for the last since middle of end of last year really mm. I yeah. feel like you know, half my mates have either quit smoking, become a yogi, or is sort of somehow involved in some sort of NFT project or, yeah, crypto, basically. So I guess that's keeping yeah. everyone busy. I'm not, like, really doing any NFT stuff. I just got involved as in a good friend of mine that I DJ with has been into this for quite some time. He got in 
probably about 2012 or 14. And he just said to me last September, like, you should buy Bitcoin now. So I did that. And then I started, once you bought some, you'd want to know more, you know, and then you'd learn. To me, it's like really much more interesting than like, um, let's put it this way. It has the same sort of interest as like a fringe thing that's going to become more mainstream as like the subcultural stuff that I was into in the past. Because that's kind of mainstream now to me, that stuff. Do you think you have the same sort of grasp into this whole digital world that you might have had previously in the subculture stuff? I just think that it was interesting when I started talking to friends, it started to pop up that the people that I sort of know for a long time that have always been sort of early on subculture stuff and into it when it was like fringe and not, I mean, of course, this whole sort of um, crypto thing is by no means underground, but it's still like not overground. But the same sort of people that were attracted to that stuff seem to be attracted to this as well. And I think they feel something a little bit initially disruptive about it, you know? It definitely is stirring the pot in, in that sense. I just yeah. want to zoom up for a little bit as well, just because I know that obviously you guys would be traveling right now, you know, hitting a lot of key calendar dates. How have you found like the collaborative process? Because I guess a lot of those relationships don't exactly disappear. They continue to maintain. What are the obvious hurdles that you've had to sort of cross? I mean, I just cross it in the most efficient and easiest way possible. We're lucky we have the phones that we have. And um, I do a lot of work, obviously, with Utah from ReadyMade right now on our project. And we usually just work from about 8.30 at night till about 11 at night when I go to sleep. And then I wake up around 6.30 and we work before he goes to sleep and we just do it with our phones and computers. But like we were talking about before, the hard part is filling up your tank because I'm used to moving around and getting a lot of juice that way. Yeah. And feeling um, just the thrill of creativity in a room with somebody. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you know, it certainly, it doesn't kill everything. Mm. You know, it, it can work. Yeah. It's, I think it, it slows it down. It slows it down and it takes whatever the new look of the world or the current look of the world means I have to just be there at 8.30 at night. <laughs> but it's just a real easy exchange between you. We, we seem to be able to build off of each other's ideas um, quite naturally. And anything I learned from designing graphics has... It started off sort of as an accident, as an extension of some paintings. But since I have the opportunity to do it and I enjoy it, I, I try and take it seriously. I was able to kind of over the last six or seven years do some things maybe I didn't love or have some experiences that weren't great. And I knew from working on a ready-made piece with Utah that him and I would work well together. You know what it feels like? It feels like when you're a teenager in the suburbs and you find someone with the same starter jacket or whatever (laughs) and you're sitting around and you both have black books and you're drawing Mm. you know and you're listening to new records it's like that vibe um you know so that's worth holding on for me and to me that's kind of where magic stuff happens Mm. that space i mean we both bit different because you're like a creative yourself you have a creative output that's coming from you whereas i'm much more of a intermediary you know, mm. so for me, it's maintaining pre-existing things is kind of okay. Mm. That kind of works all right. But to instigate new stuff is quite difficult. And I'm more like a selector in many senses, you know, like uh, it's like DJing. It's the same thing to me. It's like knowing what tunes to play for the right setting. But in order to understand, particularly with new stuff, for me always, I need to be out there in it. It's almost like I need the coordinates and adjacencies of things to be able to tell me that this thing makes sense. Like talking to different people, seeing things in a particular setting, all of those kind of like pointers or kind of uh, almost like compasses line up for me to understand, oh, this thing has like the right people are into this. It's associated with that. All All the elements work well as a sum of parts because unfortunately just pure creativity and sort of talent in something isn't always enough it needs to sort of have a bunch of other stuff for it to really work Mm. and not being able to travel and see things in that context i find it very hard to judge things it's almost like things that were three-dimensional have gone to two dimensions and i can't yeah i don't know i just don't know how to use my metrics to measure it anymore 
Right. It, running around and being in it helps you draw the map. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like here now, in the in the great languish, we have no map. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You just don't have those. Uh, yeah, those coordinates. I know. Look at people like Virgil or mm. I know Kim Jones. Other people that I work with, because they work for big fashion companies, they're flying. You know, they're they're not mm. they're not just sitting at home. They're they're actually going and doing stuff. So to sort of not lose three months on Zooms, I think going to London for one week and sitting in an office with real people discussing something face to face is going to be a lot more productive and speed things up. So yeah, <laughs> and and maybe my tank will be a little bit fuller as you said yeah right yes it's, it's interesting because um yeah there's only so much sort of conversation or like you know quote-unquote networking you can do until you know your intuition kicks in and you go actually like a lot of what you guys do is purely based on intuition and whether or not this feels like a collaboration or a project that should be a go-ahead one of my mates always says this and he works in corporate as well where he just goes look you can have everyone in the room and you might have been doing your homework, you might have researched on them previously, but you just got to have a few drinks, you know, get them a little bit wasted and then you actually know they're good people, you know, and I feel like you can't really do that through Zoom. I mean, we could all be cracking open a beer right now, but we're not really breaking bread as we would if we were like set at a pub or something like that. There's something right. about people coming together where it just sparks a very different cadence of conversation. You know what yeah. I mean? Like uh, just there's human energy, you know? Yeah. We were talking earlier about how you would go to different cities and really get involved in different scenes, whether that's going to shows or art shows or concerts or whatnot. With, you know, a lot of sort of emerging scenes coming off of the internet, um, do you often find it's harder to sort of understand what these things are or, or, you know, get connected in the same level as you used to, say, the 90s or the 80s or when you know, whatever subculture you were sort of growing up on really inspired you. Does does it get lost in the internet a little bit? Or is it a different way of connecting with the sort of subculture? I don't think it gets lost. It's kind of the same amount of people that are really doing things that I'm interested in now, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And um, it's become easier for me to find those people with technology. Yeah, yeah you know, true. Rabbit holes are easier to navigate. Yeah. I mean, true. I, I don't need to send $3 in a self-addressed stamped envelope to anyone anymore. <laughs> you know, but I have, and that was cool too. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to someone younger the other day. I was telling them they should write fan mail because it's so easy now on Instagram. Mm. Um, they'll be like, oh, how did you meet this person? Or how did you meet that person? And I said, oh, I saw this thing they did and I wrote them. And I said, I love what you did. Right. Um, and we used I've, to- I've, I've done that. Yeah, um, I think I learned that when I was thirteen. Not I Join didn't realize the, I was learning it. But whatever like, it was, the the Marvel Comics fan club or whatever yeah, they had, you know, that you'd get some shit in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I remember writing, uh, you know, ordering a record from Discord and Ian McKay writing back. Wow. Uh, six months later or whatever, but he wrote back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, yeah yeah things were a lot slower then but it's yes. has has the magic sort of been lost when you still get quote-unquote fan mail do you respond to it the same way as you would when ian wrote back you know i don't particularly feel like the magic has been lost you know once in a while i'll see something on tv i'll see a documentary about a berlin club scene in 1982 and it'll look so good to me that i'll have that moment where i wish i could go there mm. but uh yeah, I don't, I don't think the magic's been lost. And also, like, for people that are younger, they've got no point of reference for how it was for people before. So, like, for them, it, it, it's, that's how it is. You know, that's mm. how it works. And it will be different again in 20 years' time. Mm. And the younger people now are having the moments that we have. Mm. Yeah, it's exactly. The cycle of life, it's a human experience. Mm-hmm. These forms of connection are ever evolving, um, but always take different forms, whether it's MySpace or Instagram or direct uh, direct lettering. Sort of zooming out a bit as well. When was the last time you guys both hung out? Probably during a Fashion Week event? or I, may have, I probably saw you in Tokyo I think maybe a year and a half ago. <laughs> I can't even remember if I was at the Fashion Week then, at the beginning of last year. I might not have been. But yeah, it was definitely like somewhere... Could be here, I think. Right. Because, Callie, you were doing a show in Tokyo last year, weren't you? Yeah, but I didn't go. 
Oh, you didn't go. Yeah. Okay. That's also me just looking at things 2D then. I didn't go. I bought a plane ticket and it was like that thing where everything was like, I'll travel in three months. I'll travel in six months. It'll be fine in nine months. I don't necessarily love going to my shows. I like it, but I don't love it. Or it's rather, it's not the reason to make it. But I do think that not going definitely takes some of the energy out of it. I can imagine that's quite sort of um, strange going there, you know, like because you're the center of it. Yeah, yeah. you need to be there. But I, I imagine it's very draining. It's draining. Uh, you know, some people, we all know people who love to talk about themselves and, and mm. that's fine. I'm just not, mm. that's not something that's good for me. <laughs> like there's a gallery I show at called B1 in Copenhagen. I've had a few shows there and they are really good about that. They have a back room that I get to go hang out with my friends during most of the opening. I get that. But not going, I, it's been a weird experience to make a body of work and then put it in the mail. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then experience it. You know, they show you on FaceTime them hanging it and then they show you the opening and it's cool. Like, it's different. It's, it's, it's almost, but I don't know that I'd want to have it many more times. I imagine it's kind of like being at your own exhibition is somewhat, if you're one of those people that doesn't really like to have a birthday party for you, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's know. okay to go to somebody else's, but to have yours and you have to sort of, it's like, you feel like you need to chat to everybody and it's sort of like, you know, it must be very tiring. It's almost like you, you want to be at the party, but you don't want to be the party. Yeah. There's art artists and creative people who love doing, um, interviews and stuff like that and i've always kind of thought that if you were good at that why would you bother these like the off on, these like fucking distant ways of trying to express yourself i was gonna say i was gonna say like the art is a communication sort of format isn't it yeah mm. so i like uh like ed ruchet has never really given an interview Mm. you know which i think but it's too late i already i didn't have that idea until i'd already done some it's, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like you either got to not do any of it or you got to like now now if you start doing it you've got to give a bit away every time now it's like so just chipping away at it or you just got to not do any interviews at all right <laughs> do like the apex I, twin I, model I, really I, I think it's uh i feel lucky that i can talk to people about my ideas mm. it's just not something i'm um in a rush to do all the time right yeah, it's like it's like DJing. I, I like the fact that I'm sort of doing something where you don't really have to engage with people directly. You sort of there with them. Well, yeah. you have a purpose. I like yeah. DJing too. You know, then I have a purpose. And if I if I'm just at a bar or a club, I it doesn't. It's never been like easy for me. I guess. Mm, yeah, uh, I get it. Because you know, I don't always have a lot to say. I'm not good at small talk, maybe. So I'm not. Yeah, I like to have something to do. And I guess in, in the era of like promotion and to an extent, there's a lot of self-promotion. How have you guys found the balance of putting out your work and your ideas without, so to say, give it away? If you're too on the nose, it's almost like you've lost the mystery or the magic of it, right? But with that said, you still also have to put it out in a certain way that relates to how people receive information these days. I think so. I think a lot of people are better at it than I am. I just kind of treat it, you know, I started doing a daily photo blog in 2005. So I'm kind of used to this idea of sharing imagery online. And I, I like that. And I also like Instagram stories because they only last 24 hours. And I can spit yeah. out whatever I want. <laughs> um, I've just been doing it for so long. But, you know, people are different. There's yeah. a lot. There's yeah, a lot of yeah I, don't, I don't have to do it because I'm effectively working for a big company. So it's like, I'm just a cog in a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, so it's not about me particularly. And um, that's fine, actually. I quite like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I've kind of <laughs> thought about how to make it more like that for me. Yeah. <laughs> one of you guys own a brand. The other one works for a brand. So it's sort of kind of different scenarios, but both have, you know, ideas that you've got to share as well, you know. There isn't exactly a roadmap. You know, Kelly's like sharing his own expression. I'm sort of uh, subject to, if, if I'm talking about anything to do with that side of work, mm. then, of course, then I'm a representative of something bigger So uh, that I don't have control over in terms of, like, the bigger thing. So it's really, really different. More filters <laughs> need to be applied, I guess. 
Well, unless I want to sort of get fired and just say something <laughs> crazy, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who, um, and this isn't like a deep desire for me, but I was curious. I have this friend who's a private detective, and I asked him, um, "How hard would it would it be to erase myself from the internet and disappear from it?" And you know, in the case of probably any one of us, it would be very difficult. You could erase a lot. And you could make your presence less known, but there's no erasing all of it. He had just done a job for someone who was going to do something in politics. And she contacted him and just said, how easy is it to find information about me in my life? Right. Just, just look into it for me. And within an hour, he had like changed her just to show her he had, he had found enough information to like change her voting registration. Wow do all this stuff and so uh, part of me has this desire to kind of disappear sometimes um, you, you know you know who's amazing at that i just think it's a, a feat that of, of an incredulous feat that she's managed to do it is cynthia cactus plant flea market that mm. she just you cannot find yeah. there's one image that you can find of her that i i found but how she's managed to kind of not be just mm. somebody else putting her up there like i don't know Agree. She's <laughs> from the beginning. I feel like Skate things from, from the beginning. A lot He's been pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's this and, idea of like anti-promo. I envy that. I think it's cool. It's I extremely think. deliberate on both their parts as well. I mean, he wears masks or when he does stuff, but uh, he's kind of avoided it. But she's in a time where it's just like it's the opposite of the kind of norm, right? And also to have such a proximity to people and situations that are so out there. Yeah, it's an incredible feat. Really yeah. well done. When everyone's playing the popularity game, the the next thing is like, how can I be the most unpopular? Then it's probably like you know that's that's the way forward now, isn't it? It's like if you're trying to do something different, let's never mind the likes. Let's work on the dislikes. You know. I think that for sure, people that know how to manipulate that medium are the people that are successful right now. But it it, it takes a very specific uh, focus, I think, and also mm. an understanding of of how to use it. That means a lot now. I think there's people that are very talented, but if they don't know how to use that. So even like Cynthia's thing of being able to sort of be associated with things that can create momentum without having to put herself there is like very smart. Mm. Let's say you're just doing, and it's all subjective, right? Like good stuff. It's quite hard to get it over the top or get it into people's consciousness beyond a certain scale unless you can use that stuff. Yeah. Now, they need personality behind a lot of that stuff. Yeah. That's like, it's another way. It's like a map for other people. It's all sort of language anyway. Yeah, it's a validation, isn't it? It's a kind of a very quick way to, uh, lots of people like it or it's, yeah, I see it. I don't know. I think, I guess people fall in love with the brand because they also fall in love with the person. Maybe not love, so to say, but, you know, there's an affinity for the, the creator and people like people, right? So naturally there's a, there's a connection there that sort of can't be avoided. I was thinking about that the other day, actually. I'm trying to think who I was watching. Now, you know what it was? It was last night. I was actually watching Ricky Gervais because he does these like YouTube videos where he just like takes things and talks. Have you seen those? Yeah, yeah. Like, but I was thinking like somebody of that sort of scale of sort of fame, I was thinking back to like the 70s or something, like more when I was growing up, you know, that celebrities were so out of reach and mysterious in a way, mm. how different that is and how it made people like seem less normal and more unusual and uh, out of reach and probably maybe gave it a different value than what you put on it now because everybody it's sort of an attribute to actually be reachable in some ways mm. so i was sort of thinking about that you know i don't know if one's better than the other but mm. definitely a huge difference because of the tools that we've got now mm. i think on the one hand you, you definitely have that idea of stardom but i guess approachability is also like something that's quite important if you've ever met someone that you've admired and you go, actually, he or she is quite a nice person. And you're like, that was surprisingly nice to have that conversation or that chat. That, that makes it even more nicer for the admiration to exist, you know? If it goes that way, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> There's more than one way that can go, for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I was thinking about how um, privacy is dead, right? Yeah, that needs to be on a t-shirt. thing where people seem to think that like privacy is a bad thing in a way, and they also think that mystery is a bad thing in a way. 
Mm. And I'm such a huge fan of both privacy and mystery. It's interesting to watch people who are my age tripping out about doing something that no one was going to know about. And I was like, I think that's wonderful. What are you, what are you talking about? They're just damaged without even knowing it. Um, I like that. I agree with you. I like the idea that people that have been sort of like really successful at something and are just okay to just sort of more or less disappear and just be up to what they're doing, you know, mm. in the background. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Every year in summertime in LA, I feel like I get closer and closer to disappearing into the ocean. <laughs> not, you know, not drowning, just like I like it so much and I can do it every day. And at a certain point, in the dead of summer, if I'm home, I get something that people call beach dumb, which <laughs> you surf, you take a nap, you wake up and you find yourself watching wave videos on YouTube. You know, I could disappear. It's almost a struggle not to sometimes. And then maybe people appreciate when your sort of output is coming intermittently and you're kind of a little bit more out of reach. I kind of like that. Mm. Even even like a designer like um, Raquel Kubo, who I do work with, but like, doesn't really give any kind of very few interviews and is very sort of mysterious and in the back. Mm. Um, but you definitely get the feeling that she's, she would have to be doing something creative. That's what she has to do. It's not to be famous or to be mm. out there. You know, that is yeah. like almost like the negative byproduct of what that brings. Mm. And yeah. there's something quite nice about that because I think um, right now there's a lot of people that the output is as important to them as the, the presence. Right. You know, the idea of having uh, just kind of like the unspoken modern idea of fame is that it's good, mm. that it's the goal. Right. Yes. A consistent output is important to an extent where, you know, Fraser might have to work on X amount of projects or sneakers or trainers a year and perhaps Cali with art shows or whatnot. But, you know, are we bounded by this idea of constantly having to put out work or in this time and age, can, can we be as liberal as to just, you know what, do as we please when we please? Maybe less so for Fraser because, you know, you do work for a big corporation. Just curious on how you guys think about output and consistency in 2021. I think there's a lot of noise about output. The news cycle is 24 hours. Like, people want to be constantly moving and everything. So, I mean, for me, it affects everyone. Of course, it affects me, but it's subconscious. And I consciously try to take the times that are down times and, and really enjoy them and be present for life. Because in the end, it's like really rich to be able to be in the moment and be present. And that can simply be whatever. I'm not making an art show. I'm not working on a project. Everything's done and I'm going to the Grand Canyon <laughs> or wherever. You know, but I can easily see myself and people around me, you're on that road trip and all they're doing is thinking about something that they're supposed to be doing. Mm. You know, also you're, again, you're a pure creative. So I imagine there's part of it is driven by your feelings and necessity to actually put something out and be engaged in that and inspired by it. Right, Callie? Yeah. And for my negative talk about interacting at an opening or whatever, I mean, one of the main things is I love people and I love language and I love communication. So I do actually love it. Mm. But in this climate that I feel is only elevating, I, I, you mentioned meditation. If I can do that every day, I find I'm, I'm a lot better at being present. Definitely. <laughs> it's like a muscle memory, isn't it? It's like something you have to keep doing to keep it kind of active. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I fall in and out of it. So sometimes I'm really good with it and then a day or two and then all of a sudden yeah. I'm three weeks. But once you start and you've already learned how to do it, you can get back into it quickly. I try and, you know, with my work, as you say, like working, I mean, the thing I'm doing in China, the exhibition is more something that decided to do. I don't have to do that. But, you know, work with, let's say, Nike work or whatever. Yeah, I'm just, in a way, it's the similarity, like I... I get excited by sitting in a room when you sort of start working with somebody or already are working with somebody and some sort of creative process is happening, usually between the design team that's working with me and the external person, you know, like that's a really exciting moment. I find that like uh, the most fulfilling part of what I do is actually when you're in those moments with people that are, because I'm not actually creating anything really mm. other than the opportunity for people to connect. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that 
those two answers vary, but there are like overlaps and parallels. On the one hand, Kelly's disappearing in an ocean and leaving the phone behind and constantly searching for inspiration. But what Fraser's saying is that while your job connects people, you also got to keep in mind creative calendar dates because they also hinge on the ideas or who you might bring onto the team. Because you guys both work in the industry, whether it's connecting people or having your own brand. When do you sort of make decisions based on... um? business acumen, like stuff that you've learned in the industry and the know-how, and when do you sort of make decisions based on just intuition and and feeling? Because I think both hinge on how a successful business grows. In some ways, I don't really separate those because like, even if somebody does say, well, okay, there's this moment, or we really want to do something with um, a really, really creative female designer, let's say. You know, say somebody gives you some sort of parameter, right? It still requires intuition and the sort of that to decide what that is, who that is within the context of what you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, there are some constraints and some responsibilities or sort of targets or things. When I say targets, the team that I work in are not actually held towards like you've got to make this dollar amount or anything like that thankfully we don't have that because there's more freedom to then you can explore stuff because you've got a different kind of metric that's measuring you like i say it's a combination of the two because if it ever became just like really prescriptive like that i think it certainly for me that would that would be probably the the cue to not do it anymore right right the cue to move on yes (laughs) like let somebody else you know or if i was starting to think like that yeah i think it might be time to like give up the the seat you know, let somebody else yeah, take that place. <laughs> I understand that. For sure. Um, and for me, it kind of has to all be intuitive because I am, have no business skill. And I don't wear that as a badge of honor. I wish I had some, mm. but. Very I'm few in- creatives, very few pure creatives have that. There's so few, um, I think. Yeah, it has to be um, based on intuition. Mm. Or it has to be, I think the one, something I made, kind of a rule I made for myself is, um, and I think you probably feel the same way. Um, I have to like whatever it is. That's the main yes. thing. And then I have to hopefully my friends like whatever it is mm. beyond that. Yeah. Same. Control. I'm very bad at lying uh, <laughs> or, or I'm very bad at faking interest in something. If I'm not really interested in it, right. <laughs> terrible. I mean, that's the joy in it because yeah. You know, 75 years from now, when we're on our deathbeds, <laughs> we're going to well, be... a bit sooner for me. <laughs> I'm giving us X years. Yeah. That makes me 150. Um, I'm going to think about the relationships in my life. I'm going to think about the people who I got to meet everywhere and what a, you know, what a blessing that is. I'm not going to be thinking of my great business successes. Mm. Yeah, it's it's true. Very, 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 very true. Because that's what you, you remember. What is it the saying? It's like, it's not what people say to you. It's how they make you feel or something is, mm. is what you remember. Yeah. Can you remember like the moment you weren't like, okay, I want to do this for a living. As a kid growing up, getting into skateboarding, music, art, was there ever a time when you were like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try and long this out as much as possible so I can not get a real job or maybe the opposite and be like, I'm going to try and turn this into a real job. Was there ever a moment? There kind of was a moment and it's kind of, it's only funny because the moment was um, when I turned 40 and I'm 48 now. For me, there was no um, backup really in my family or whatever. So I always had some kind of sort of day job. Mm. And um, I had started to get offers, you know, little ones to have shows and to do residencies or whatever. And I was having to turn those down. And, you know, I thought about it for a couple months at a certain point and I had my monthly, what I needed every month was very low. And I ended up just saving up for six months and doing this show. And I've been able to um, keep the day job away now <laughs> since then. Mm. Um, but so that was kind of the moment. Um, and for me, it was actually, you know, at first frightening and then obviously kind of like liberating and wonderful. So I'm really grateful that I made the, made the choice to get out of my comfort zone. Mm. 
Yeah, I started off more with a day job because I, I didn't have a like a wealthy family, a single parent mother. And I kind of had to start working. I left school at 16. I didn't do any sort of college. I always had like paper rounds and because my mum had been on her own since I was about 11 or 12. So to get my money, I always had to do stuff myself. Mm. And I, my initial job was, I, I mean, I worked in a stockbroking firm in the city. Like that's crazy in London. Like I had no interest in that. I hated it actually. And then I was a hairdresser because I thought, well, at least that's like creative and you kind of around interesting people and it's something you can do that you can take anywhere that you actually learn a, a trade but it was never felt right eventually I got to a place where I started to kind of wean myself away from the the regimens of the day job into doing the stuff that I sort of liked which has led to what I do now mm. ultimately you're very lucky if you can do something where it's like you've got a passion for it it's not the majority of people's experience is it on, on the planet mm. uh, I have to say so it is very very lucky even though of course there's you can moan about stuff elements of it nothing's so usually that simple but mm. yeah that makes sense for sure i think you dabbled a bit about your early part of your career as well fraser and i was always really interested in moax records and like their intersection with what was early part of streetwear and um in uk and and i heard that you did the merchandising for a lot of the merch for moax and uncle as well and previously i've also interviewed you cali for somewhere with brandon merchandising so to say hinges largely on on the culture and the brand and we often speak of the t-shirt as an entry point of streetwear is this still a signifier to you guys um has that ever changed you know yeah i mean there was no such thing as streetwear in, in its current form when I was younger. There were subcultures and tribes and things that you got into. I've been really thinking about this stuff a lot lately. And I think we all gravitate towards certain things because we're looking for some sort of uh, identity and acceptance. Mm. Maybe even more so, like if you maybe don't have that at home or in your immediate Maybe you grow up somewhere where you don't quite feel like you relate to all the other people around you. So you find these things and you, you get into them. But as far as what we currently call like streetwear, there there really wasn't anything. But I was around when it started to happen, which, you know, in, in, the, in the current form that it is now. So sort of when the I was a skateboarder, so there were kind of skate brands, but it wasn't really until Stussy that there was some sort of thing that embodied what we currently um, would call streetwear. I mean, there was, I would say, adoption and, you know, reinterpretation of certain items that, you know, I mean, which is very hard now, I think. It's quite hard to imagine what you would do now to kind of reappropriate, like I say, a Carhartt jacket to be something, you know, that was meant for like workwear to something else. It's sort of all been done. And all those companies all have sort of like marketing departments now or it's just too much out there. So I was kind of lucky to be around an, of an age, really, by chance, where, you know, these things like skateboarding, hip-hop culture that was new, and other stuff that had gone before all kind of converged to be this sort of do-it-yourself phenomenon. And none of us that were around that really thought that you would make a lot of money out of it. It was just, again, it was a... I think the gear was like a, an expression of, of the other stuff behind it. In fact, I was talking to James Lavelle the other day and, and, and he was kind of saying it's funny because when we were younger, we kind of, um, we were turned on to certain items, whether it was, I don't know, a pair of Adidas superstars because Run DMC wore it. Mm. Now it almost is that you get turned on to Travis Scott through Nike shoes. It's like the, the flip on the reverse, you know? Um, or McDonald's right it's um if something's got some sort of like real something about it that creates mass adoption eventually it's it, it's not like where it started the purity of where it started out and takes on sort of different meanings and stuff like that it's so easy yeah. to stay within the moment yeah because every moment is new yeah like the first time you go to New York or wherever yeah um, you can stay for six months and have that present feeling the whole time. Yeah, there's no, there was no sort of map there as well. But again, I, I, I don't suggest that that means that all the people that are doing it are sort of like, you know, doing it from a really cynical standpoint where they're like, well, if I do this to do this, it will get me this to that. Mm. But um, it is fair to say that there wasn't really, you didn't really see that there was a possibility. I mean, well, there was no way of knowing that you could possibly work in a big corporation like like I do, like a Nike doing what I do, because that wasn't something that they were focused on at the time. It was a byproduct of this stuff becoming successful. 
the possibilities that you assume. Mm. It's funny actually now, like a lot of sort of, I hate to sound like, because I am an old guy, you know, I'm 54. It's like, but a lot of young people sort of, you know, it's kind of like, they already sort of have this sort of like, well, I want to get to this. Mm. You know, if I do this, this and this, um, my brand or, you know, this is what I'm, I want to be a creative director or whatever, you know, never crossed my mind at all. It was mm. only to like, again, maybe really stupidly, I just enjoy this thing that I'm doing right now. Mm. How can I do more of that mm. and but not maybe, really have to work? <laughs> that's probably one of the main keys that's missing now. Mm. Be I less strategic. Now, I've said this sort of stuff before. I think that there's the same amount of people that have a particular type of talent or mindset and you come across them and you can recognize that like recognizes like kind of thing, mm. even if someone's like 21 and you're like 54. But then there's a lot of other noise and a lot of other stuff going on as well mm. that wasn't hard, there before. It's hard to figure out the noise when we're doing everything remotely, right? There we go, go back to that. Yeah, goes back to the two D circle exactly. 2D metaphor. <laughs> and back yeah. to the just the, I don't even know what the initial question was, but <laughs> like, to bounce off what you just said is the clothes that I wore when I was a young kid. It's this, sort of the same thing now. It's just mm. I'm looking for like minded people. It's a way to express myself and communicate. Mm. Yeah, you know. And so the hard won shit when I was 13 years old sucked. My first pair of creepers or whatever. Mm. I found like the one guy in the neighborhood ten miles away who also had them, and I knew we had a, we would have a lot more to talk about and to bond over and to share. So true. You know, he so could make true. his twenty records, and I could make him one. And where, we, where where was that? Where were you? Where were you growing up? I was here, but I was in the valley, which is yeah, I've stayed like, whereabouts? Uh, Woodland Hills, and then Calabasas, and now Calabasas. Yeah which was a no man's land has become what it is. Mm. Yeah. I stayed in Van Nuys a long time ago, like 89. I was like over there. Woodman yeah. Avenue, Woodman Avenue. Yeah. You may have seen me, um, <laughs> up and down the boulevard. <laughs> Did you see any creepers? Sherman Oaks Galleria. Oh yeah. Funny thing about <laughs> Sherman Oaks Galleria is when I was, whatever year fast times came out. Yeah. I think that was I, there, right? Yeah, my dad took me to see it at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. And the fact that the mall in the movie was the mall we were at just blew my young mind. Yeah, I had, I had a friend that I met. in. I was in Milan after I did the hairdressing thing. I went there for about a month and ended up with a, meeting a guy that was from L.A. that was, uh, was modelling. He's now a photographer, a guy called Leland Hayward. But he introduced me to a bunch of people. I went out there and stayed with him. I met people like Sean Mortensen that passed away, you know, oh, great sure. guy. And all a lot of the people from the early LA clubs, people like Estevan, it was Steve Oriol then, you know. Meet Matt Dyke. I didn't meet him, but it was more like that delicious vinyl thing was happening. Yeah. And it was the it was the club as well. I think it was like called Power Tools Power. or something. Yeah, exactly. You just see that one person, maybe it's like for me in London, it was taking the subway from the suburbs, because I was in the suburbs too. And there yeah. would be a guy that got on you know, two or three stops from me that you started checking each other out, you know, like you've, you're wearing something that eventually we started talking and became friends till now, you know, and this yeah. is the guy, with, the guy with the creepers. I'm still friends with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting how you went from, you know, the creepers to knowing a friend in Milan who ended up being a photographer to Estevan Oreo. That just shows how like certain staples or signifiers within fashion connect with people to being inspirational to whatever you guys do in your life journey itself. Wanted to touch a little bit on St. Michael as a brand, just kind of in terms of like uh, what, you know, you and Utah have done with St. Michael's as well. Like want to learn more about the graphics and the iconography on the apparel and how that is an extension of your current ideas in 2020, 2021. Absolutely. You know, I think about a lot, a lot of the stuff that I liked then was actually my art school, mm. my design school. I, I don't have any interest in making um, a fake crass t-shirt at this point, but whether or not the influence is within me, it is. I mean, uh, Guy Voucher, who made that stuff to me, is a great artist and I consider her a great artist. So mm. the influence from then, yeah, lives on somehow in me. But I try not to repeat, mm. you know, unless I want to repeat, mm. you know, unless it seems like the right time and it's done in uh, fun and 
and uh, has some joy behind it. Right. And so with the graphics and the artwork itself, how do you guys go about doing that? Anything from the varsity jacket down to the hoodie, it's, you know, a bevy of clothing that is quite graphically heavy. Maybe you can walk us through, like, how you collaborate in terms of the artwork, because I know Yuto is in Osaka, so... Yuta's in Osaka. We just go back and forth. You know, it's funny. um, Yuta's having a real love of the 90s right now. Mm. And I think he's finding a lot of that stuff really inspiring. And in some ways, up until now, I've sort of denied the 90s a little bit because it feels like it was just yesterday and I'm not interested in revisiting it or I hadn't been. And so it's been fun to see his excitement around some of that stuff and to kind of um, take that as inspiration that I share with him. Is he 10 years younger than you? He's about 10 years younger than me. Yeah, yeah. there you go. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always pushing that. I love the 80s. I'm always Me too. Me too. I'm pushing the 80s. I remember like last time we spoke, uh, Brendan was on the call as well. And I, I think you guys both said that... Uh, you know, you, you do nights, uh, club nights for teenagers because it harks back to when you fell in love with subculture and, and going to like backyard punk shows. Youth culture is important in that it's always a reference point in everything you do. So I wonder how often do you guys think back to your youth in terms of your designs? Mm, I mean, I like to try to, I like to, try to move forward. Mm. You know, the, the influences of the past are with me, mm. but um, I'm not using them as like a template. I guess it's like a foundation, right? It's just, you know. Yeah, a foundation. I I think for me, nostalgia is very dangerous because it's very comfortable and it's warm and it's fuzzy and it's kind of easy. It's limiting. I'd rather keep trying to challenge myself, whether it's with the music I'm listening to or the books I'm reading or what I'm trying to accomplish. And some people kind of do the same thing over and over again well. And then there's the people who don't do it well. And I'd rather, I feel, and you may relate, culturally or feeling-wise, what I'm searching for always, because I'm still interested. I'm interested in the evolving culture. I'm interested in the language still. Me too. And as I, as I get older, more and more of my peers drop off and they begin talking about the good old days. Mm. And I just, you know, A, I disagree. I don't think the good old, I mean, I loved them, but here we are. I don't want to live in the past. I want to keep pushing forward. It'd be nice to think that these would be the good old days in a couple of years as well, right? If you've got the right mindset, I mean, I remember we always used to say, me and a couple of friends when we were younger, and I'm talking about much younger, like in the in the sort of late 80s, there'd be certain people and you'd say, they got off the bus. It's almost like a bus journey. And there's certain yeah. people you just know they got off at that stop, mm. but you're still on the bus, you know, like you're still... <laughs> I'm on the bus and I mean, you may relate, you know, there's people who I've known many years who kind of make fun of me for being on the bus still, but I don't envy where they're at. Hmm. You know, they're talking to me about whatever, some shit from 1998, which is great, but it's like, that's where their frame of reference ends. 20 years of incredible shit has happened since then. You know, who said, who said something to me about it that stuck with me a long time ago was, um, was Futura, you know, like he just said, and he's done so much, right? I refer to him as like the the Dennis Hopper of graffiti, a uh, little street art, you know? Because he's yeah. sort of been around in, like Dennis Hopper was in like Rebel Without a Cause. Then he was in Easy Rider. So he was in the 50s, the 60s. Then he was in like Apocalypse Now in the 70s and other, you know. So he kept popping up every decade in something that really seminal for the time. And I think Lenny's a bit like that. But he always said, I'm much more interested in what I'm doing tomorrow or now than what I did like last week. Yeah, it's a great line and it's true. Um, and I'm going to remember it. Or I listen to, I, I tell you what, I listen to like, there was, you know, like Mike D does his radio show on, on beats on Apple Music, right? Right. He often has a guest that he speaks to. It's almost every week. I remember he had a good interview with like Tony Alva, you know, because mm. I was into skating and because of my age, like he would have been very important, you know, when I was about 12 years old and it was the beginning of all that stuff. But, and he also, you know, he's still skating and he's still doing, and he talked about people being seekers, you know, seekers still looking for something, you know what I mean? Not lost, but like on a journey. You know, if I ever look back nostalgically, I find those people quite interesting because they still seem to be evolving and doing something of standard, you know, Mm -hmm. in their own way. They don't have any other choice, really. Yeah, at that point. (laughs) When I was 16, I picked up Jay Adams hitchhiking. 
Wow. And he was, he had a six pack of Mickey's Big Mouth and I was very intimidated. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Arthur, did you ask what, what we've been listening to? Yeah, on that note, just because you, you brought it up, um, you know, I checked out your playlist for Joy Sounds and, you know, you've got everything from, you know, Dean Blunt to UGK, you know, uh, a bit of Tricky, Anthony Naples. You know, music definitely goes hand in hand in, in, in what you guys do and provides a hotbed for inspiration. How did you come up with those tracks? How do they soundtrack what is currently St. Michael's? Um, I mean, those songs are just what I've been listening to this last few weeks. But music is like, music's where it all started for me. Like the love of music is what brought me into everything that I care about. The same, yep. And kind of like the bus. (laughs) Um, You know, I could just still listen to x-ray specs. (laughs) Or I could do what I did today, which was listen to all, because I got a new cassette player, listen to all the trilogy tapes, comps I've got this year that I haven't listened to yet. Mm. And actually, there's a there's a, there's a there's a X-ray specs. There's a there's a documentary coming out. Right? Yeah, I actually want to see that. Yeah, me too. Um, it looks great. Yeah, yeah. There is so much good music in the world. Mm. I can't listen to it all before I die. So instead- that's one of the things about the internet, right? It's just yeah, there's so sh- many like there's so many doors you can open there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, I the joy of discovery. That's the mantra of Joy Sounds as well. Is you know, stay curious and curiosity is sort of like the core of both of your projects where you guys build upon the idea of always questioning and, and pushing boundaries forward. I'm curious on Fraser's side as well, because I know you DJ on your end with um, heaps of parties when, when we could do those. What are sort of your musical inspirations and, and how does that play a role in you staying creative? Um, I'm always listening to music uh, when I can now, you know, a little bit less so at home and I haven't been going out. You know, like in the gym, when I'm driving, if I'm walking on my own. There's certain people that I listen to that uh, play old and new stuff. I get a lot of stuff through um, certain people who I trust doing more like mixed radio shows. You know, people like Francois K I really like still because he plays such a crazy wide variety of music. As I say, Mike D is one I've listened to quite a lot because he also is very interested still he's clearly somebody that's very curious about music Mm. because there isn't such a thing anymore as like the radio in the old sense where you know there would just be stuff on there and you just be exposed to it now you're kind of tailoring your experience more and more and more Mm. i try and sort of like listen to a variety of stuff where somebody's gonna you know kind of throw things up i wouldn't find myself Mm. and i've had less time and proximity to be around other people because it was always like friends that would say, have you checked this out? Have you checked that out? So, uh, but music, as Callie said, like to me, music is the basis of all of it. And is, I think it's like a very pure art form anyway. It's a bit like for me, music and movies are kind of like the most immediate stuff mm. that I can respond to. You don't have to be sort of schooled in something to get an emotional response from it. And that's mm. ultimately why it's probably the most sort of like democratic kind of um, mm. creative mediums. But music for me is the... Yeah, I go to the record store every now and again. I pick stuff up and listen to things. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody tells me, you know, and, and I do go back to stuff as well, like Kali was saying, like stuff that you maybe listened to when you were younger. And being a DJ, I'm quite sort of ADD with stuff. Like I prefer to skip through stuff or hear people play. You know, I find it quite hard to sit and listen to like one whole album. I wanted to also explore like, you know, people that you guys have seen as figures that really blend the worlds of art, music and fashion and design in, in ways that you have found admirable as well. Because here we are learning a lot about how you function in your worlds. But I want to learn about who you guys have looked up to in the past or, you know, maybe when you guys were slightly younger, who were the certain role models, who are the certain characters that might have sort of paved the way for you guys without them knowingly doing so? Not to bounce off Malcolm McLaren, but Vivian Westwood was early and continues to be interesting to me. Um, yes. Raymond Pettibone, the artist Raymond Pettibone. I loved at a young age. I remember going to a Pettibone show at a record store in the Valley and really wanting this big piece that was the unobtainable sum of $200. That would have been a lot then. Huh? Yeah. And my dad offered to loan it to me like a sweet mm-hmm. guy and I didn't take it. But, you know, mm-hmm. I probably would have lost that at some point in my 20s anyway. Mm. I always think that my closest friends are almost always my biggest inspirations. Yeah. 
you know? I mean, I hang out this whole pandemic. I sit out here on my porch with Tremaine Emery, and he's a great example of someone who inspires me all the time. Mm. Yeah, I've been, I've been in contact with A-Side, you know, obviously close to... A-Side. And, uh, he's somebody who, if he ever does a mix or, you know, anything that he... I get a lot of stuff from looking at his Instagram or stories. You know, he turns me on to stuff. Yeah. Or, as I say, if he does a mix show, um, always amazing um, as a contemporary figure. I actually find it very interesting, just from the sum of the parts, somebody like Virgil, what he's doing is is in some ways quite connected back to people like Malcolm McLaren in the way that they put different things together. I'm reading the book at the moment, the Paul Gorman book about Malcolm McLaren, the biography, which is very thick, but it actually references that in the beginning, that... People like Virgil are the modern day interpretations of this same sort of mindset. And um, I must admit, even like with what he's doing right now with the whole skate thing with LV, I found it quite weird at the beginning. I'm not going to lie. Like I found it like it it jarred against me because I was a skater and I was like, well, what's what's those things got to do with each other other than he was a skater, you know, so he's legit. But now when I look at um, the disruption not in the sense that it's anything that like I'm sure that the minute that he leaves that company they're not going to have like any support for skateboarding or anything like right. that right? right but there's something about the way that he's doing it that aesthetically and um from an almost like abstract juxtaposition I, I, I quite like it mm. as a disruptive uh element mm. I like the idea that if you can do something mm. yeah you should mm. yeah you know yeah like, don't turn yourself down when you're in a position where you can do something like that. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I came around to that. I was like, very like, mm, this feels really weird to me. But actually, I really enjoyed it. I sent him a text the other day because he put up that video that he put out with Lucian last week. And it looked like he was making like DVDs or like skate DVDs in physical form. And I was kind of like, I actually, I kind of like this. It's kind of like very raw and do it yourself. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But- much cool. of that is similar to sort yeah. of what you do, right, Fraser, which is finding authenticity within scenarios that could require like bridging these worlds, be it basketball or, or whatever sports mm. it might be with, you know, Nike and, and, and lifestyle, right? How, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean like, of course, like in the example I gave, I don't think like there's going to be so many skaters actually buying. I don't know how much those shoes are, but they're, mm. I'm sure, expensive and you know, it's not really practical from a sort of a, a real world everyday perspective. But um, there's like something kind of interesting about the disruption of it. And also the fashion industry has co-opted a lot of that stuff in a pretty one dimensional manner. Mm. I mean, you can buy surfboards from Chanel and in the past and other companies have skateboard decks and stuff and they don't do anything that right. has anything to do with it. So, I mean, you know, from that standpoint... It's like light years more authentic than, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> in when, that sense. When do you think it's done right and when do you think it's done wrong? I mean, like, it's hard to pinpoint examples, but does it always go back to intuition? And like, what are the certain sort of uh, hit points you reckon that make a successful collaboration work? And when, when does it just come off corny? It just has to be real. And the people that are doing it have to understand it you know otherwise i think people can see through it (laughs) anything you know you can feel some legitimate joy and passion in there Mm. yeah Mm. yeah it really goes down to sort of goes goes back to emotion which is sort of um lacking lacking cynicism Mm. if it's really cynical and you know then i think you feel it people that know they know they feel it Mm And it's interesting how you use disruption as a, as a compliment there, you know, like is a, a positive term. Would you say that in both of you guys' work, disruption is a key factor at all? Are you always looking to change things up in a way that is disruptive? And I know I'm attracted to disruption and disruptive things, not just for the sake of it, but I think most of my favorite things are polarizing. Yeah, well, those are the people that the people that sort of operate within that space are usually the people that change things. Right. Yeah. It comes from the fringes. It doesn't really come yeah. from. I don't. I hope not to do something that everybody's like. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's nice. I expected that. Yeah. yeah. Better to have people. You know, some people really like it, and some people dislike yeah. it. 
And what is failure and success anyway? It's all very, very, depends on what the intention was in the first place, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, not everybody knows what was behind something always, you know. Mm. There's people that can sort of um, draw judgment based on their own sort of subjective idea of what was being intended at the time. But, you know, small things that, that mean something to a very specific group of people can be very successful mm. as much as really huge things that reach lots and lots of people. Yeah. What you're trying to do. You and I know have known about Malcolm McLaren for decades. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a badge of honor. It's just something that to you and me, that's a given. But I still want to read that book you're reading. The book's very good. And if you bring you it know, up, if you bring him up to most people, they don't know who he is. It's very interesting to see how he and he said something as well, which which is he said I was always much better in a gang. Not really good as an individual person i always had to surround myself with a gang yeah. to make something make sense. i kind of get that yeah, i understand it's interesting you talk about being polarizing and to an extent success in any project comes from bridging polarizing worlds as your career continues to progress and there's an element of success that is sort of adjacent to mainstream culture how do you continue to keep one foot in the underground or subculture while you know it goes without saying that success definitely comes with rising to more popularity. I don't think it's conscious. Mm. I just It's just what you like. It's, it's just what you, you don't, it's how you operate, right? It's, it's where you get your, as you say, your juice, like whatever it is from. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. The thrill of discovery remains. Again, I think if you were sort of going, oh, well, I better go and do this because it will keep me up to date on that, but oh, it's becoming a chore, then again, that's, that's not working right. Mm, yeah, that's right. a bad, bad Yeah. So would you say is a constant reminder for yourself to always stay curious then? Is that sort of something that you have to consciously remind yourself? Um, like, I've, I've, yeah, got well, to, I've got to enjoy the news. Whatever right. that curiosity is, yeah, mm, yeah. Yeah. Always, like, if you listen to a new Playboy Cardi album, you're like, I don't really like this. Like, would you force yourself to like it? Because that's what the kids are No, I wouldn't are force to. myself to like it. But if, <laughs> if people that I trusted were telling me or that it, was, that it was something interesting, I would at least listen to it. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, some of my favorite stuff, I actually didn't get at first. The people who I trusted were like, give it a minute. Um, and then it came. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. It has to actually come. I, I'm not going to pretend... Mm. that I love something. That's one of the good things about like, you know, again, like having something like these, like, I don't know, for me, like Apple Music subscription is like mm. all that shit's kind of not free, but you're it's there, right? Yeah. So if I want to check it, it's easier than ever, right? Mm. And easy. then I either think, oh, this is really good, I get, or I'm just like, I don't really care about that, you know? Mm. Mm. <laughs> and if I don't care about it, I don't need to tell everybody. Mm. No. I think mm. there's a lot of that in the world now where everyone wants to kind of, uh, a lot of people want to tear things down. I have no interest in that either. I would drop a, a name of somebody that said this, but back in the days when the Le Baron Club was very big here in, mm. in Tokyo, and yeah. you know, it was a very fun, specific time. I was in there with uh, Andre, who yeah. was one of the founders of that. And he said to me, I know why you like to DJ here. He goes, because it reminds you of where you came from and who you are when you're not doing the corporate stuff. And I was like, you're right, actually. <laughs> so Andre, that was, the, that was his quote. He was, he was right. <laughs> that hit. <laughs> so for, for Fraser for the club and I guess um, Cali for the, the waves, we've sort of built up a short list of you know, destinations that we might go on holiday or, or, or things we tell, tell our folks, you know, but just, just getting, just trying to pick your brain on what you guys want to do when these borders open up and return to normal. I look forward to being able to DJ with some of my friends again and just have some fun like that, you know, because to be honest with you, I have DJed not that long ago and it's weird with masks on and everybody's a little bit uncomfortable and that ain't you know that's not it's fun. better not to do it <laughs> yeah. right now <laughs> yeah that's the idea though isn't it it's like well do you would you rather just mothball and like you know put it on ice and actually do the meditation and then actually do a proper party when when we're allowed to do that just you think know? how good it's gonna be like it's better to just like let that save it up for when it's right not when you can like halfway do it Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm actually going to do in August that I've been saying I was going to do for years and then I never do it because we're on bigger trips is 
Um, I'm going to go to Memphis for the anniversary of Elvis's death so I can wow. take photos at Graceland and just like be in Memphis. That's sick. Most important to stay curious and uh, stay psyched, right? Now I feel like I've had a little bit of feel of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a time when everything is consumed through the black mirror, authentic experiences and real-life interactions are more important now than ever for Fraser and Callie to navigate their ideas at both Nike and St. Michael's alike. Although COVID-19 has made this a difficult feat, through this conversation, we learn that curiosity is not only the starting point to their creative process, but allows them to connect the fringes of culture and push boundaries even further. While the saying goes, content is king, this roundtable reminds us to exercise disruption as a way to question the status quo. This is Arthur Bray. You've been locked into the Joyce podcast series. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>